You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jen Goldman. She is a business operations coach. We're going to talk to her about the work that she does with leaders and businesses on how they can achieve higher levels of performance, how they can grow and scale, how do they deal with the challenges that come with scaling and growing a company. I'm excited for this. I'm always interested in talking with other advisors, leaders, coaches inside the space that work with growing companies. There's always so many sort of different facets and different patterns that we see. It's always an interesting conversation with that. Jen, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Bruce. So glad to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's do a little bit of background first before we kind of jump into our topics. What was your background? How did you get into coaching? What inspired you? Tell us a little bit of the story. Yeah, it's a a long weave to where I should have been (laughs) about 25 years ago. So yeah, I think in high school, I started working and working for businesses that I could see clearly needed a boost. And then in college, while I was going for business management, of course, the generic liberal arts, again, I worked at businesses and it was the first time that I helped a campus service company actually create a set of processes that got me let go. I replaced myself. <laughs> you worked yourself um, out so of a job. I love it. I worked myself and my boss out of a job. So that was like a rude awakening. So there's a couple things that happened all in business that I could see, okay, this is what I love. I'm very project-based. And then I went on and realized, you know, if you don't know finance in personal finance and business finance, you're in trouble. I come from a family where a very hardworking family, very, you know, middle-class type and teachers. So so I went on to become a financial advisor for my certifications and then started coaching people, business owners and individuals on you know, financial freedom and those kind of topics. And then working in the business while working with the clients, I just kept going back to loving the business. Like, and then I thought, here's the deal. I could help you know, maybe 100 businesses working as an advisor, but if I became a coach or a consultant, I could help thousands. And that's when I realized that's my footprint. Like I wanted to be able to help as many as possible feel liberated per se, right? And I knew I had to switch things up. So after running a couple businesses and trying my hand in different ways, I started consulting in my early 30s. And, you know, that was when tech was having a big boom in financial services industry, all services businesses. And so that's how I got hired, kind of like an interim COO of sorts as a consultant. And over the years, it went from consulting to coaching. Because over time, you realize, you know, people get the general sense they need less of the implementation and more of the change management and thinking through. So that's my Mm -hmm. long-winded story of how I landed up to coaching. 
Yeah, it's always interesting ones. <laughs> People that get into yeah, coaching no, come from right. all sorts of. Right, you look back and you're like, was, it seems scattered, right? And then you're like, yeah. oh, that's the path. Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, it makes sense. I started as an architect, so <laughs> there you go. I've, right? I've had enough twists uh, to uh, in, in my in my career over the years. So you mentioned something in there I wanted to kind of chat about, which is the yeah. difference between a coach and a consultant. Give me your take on like how are those roles different? How is being a coach different from a consultant? What is the job that they do for the company? Give us yeah. give us some insight. Yeah. So to me a consultant is somebody rolling their sleeves up and almost becoming a member of the team temporarily. So you're really in there, you're part of the team, you're implementing whatever ideas and strategy you bring to the table versus a coach is somebody who gives the ideas and then lets the business simmer on them and work through the implementation themselves. Okay. So it's this has been very hard for me. It's a great question because anybody who really knows me well knows I had a very difficult time making this switch. I yeah. always felt rolling up the sleeve. I'm a hard worker. I'm a Buffalo, New York girl. You know, like you just get in mm-hmm. and you do it, right? But I have realized as I get gray hair that just as children, if you don't let them do fail a little bit, but be there to support them, they're never going to learn those habits, which will take them well beyond your engagement with them. So yeah, so I've been coached to learn how to be a coach. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we all have, right, mentors. Um, So yeah, so that's a big difference. Rolling up the sleeves versus kind of giving the guidance and letting, letting the leader go with it. And I'm curious, as you switched into more of that coaching role, what is it, how is it more enjoyable for you? Or what is it that you find you know, is better for you as a coach versus a consultant? It's better for me now because I get to see them get excited when they learn something that I know will become permanent in their minds, right? And like how they operate in their mindset. So that it's like a child, right? Like getting up and just tackling and realizing they've got it. So that's awesome. The part that's still hard is that I want to save them from failing, right? I'm working with businesses. They're not necessarily failing, but they're stagnating or they just kind of can't find, you know, what do I do next to really push the business forward and up? And so I see the vision right? I want to get in there and push. So as much as it's great, and I love those epiphany moments and those moments when they get it and those people, the leaders rise up or the staff, I also mm-hmm. want to hold them back from failing. But it, yeah, it's all it's, good. Yeah, I was saying that too. There's this balance of people need to learn. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you need to fail to learn, uh, right. but you'd want to create some level of guardrails. Like, okay, let's not fail too hard. <laughs> or let's right. not right. Let's exactly. like fail, you know, catastrophically. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. And it's, it yeah. is this uh, balance. I always kind of joke as a coach. I, I don't, the difference between a coach and consultant is as a coach, I don't do anything. <laughs> Meaning that I'm not, I'm not there to fix yeah. anything. I'm there yes. to kind of ask the questions and create the framework and, you know, set up the conversation so that they can really kind of see things, get the perspective, come up with the options, you know, help evaluate those things. But yeah, it really is a different role from a consultant. I think, you know, and I think a lot of people, both people that provide services as well as people that are hiring people can get confused between those things. So it's a, totally. it's, and that's it. You know that I'm sure, you know what I mean? All the time you have to explain that. And then there's always that moment when they say, listen, I want a coach. But then what their body language is saying is I really want you as a consultant right now. Yeah. Right. So it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. You have to play that, you know, and you have to remind them. You have to remind yourself, you know, where's the boundaries? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a constant kind of challenge. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so as you've kind of kind of figured out your coaching world, where have you kind of found your niche? Who do you typically work with? What are you typically kind of helping them with? Typical problems, kind of challenges? Give us a little sense of the flavor for what you do. Yeah. So the businesses I'm working with are service businesses only. I know I don't know product. <laughs> My yeah. husband's in product and I will stay clear. 
they are mostly the revenue ranges now from about 250,000 all the way up to 10 million. And at that point, I believe there should be boots on the ground and better hiring internally and a different type of what I call SWAT team approach to working mm -hmm. with the business. And they're all over the United States. I have worked a little internationally, but the time zone is tough for me as I get yeah. a little older. I just, and I, there's more than enough in the US to, you know, yeah. get your head wrapped around, right? And the areas that I touch, no matter how they come to me, you know, what their pain point is, I'm always touching what I'm sure you do too. I'm always touching on the people. You know, are they in the right seats, doing the right things that they're passionate about? Are they learning the skills that they need? So are they feeling engaged, energized? So that's super important. And with people, I also look at outsource providers because I do believe as businesses grow, you need interim help and then you need permanent help. And then I always look at productivity. So that's things like, you know, are you using your tech as much as you possibly can to do some of the work so your people can rise up and do the higher value items? Are you look, using processes? So there's kind of like predictability and standards and, and that sort of thing. And then I go through profitability, right? Can we stay as lean as possible? So I'm pulling a little, you know, Six Sigma and lean in there. And then looking at your P&L, looking at projections going forward, like, oh, that's a great idea, but can you afford it? Like, what's that going to do in that quarter, you know, for profitability? And then growth, you know, is your client and customer experience understandable. You know, we, like even I struggle with that, right? If somebody yeah. sees me and they flow through whether it's my website or LinkedIn or something else, do they understand what I can do for them? And then do they understand how they would get started? And then do they understand how they're going to be treated? Because that's the whole raving fans idea, right? Where, you know, if they can understand it all and be a part of an experience and so can somebody else, the people in the community start to talk about your business in a way that's predictable and trustworthy. So it's the three P's and a G. I <laughs> no, I like it. And what are some of the, I guess, obstacles that leaders have when they're going to grow and scale? I mean, do you find typical patterns or sort of situations that come up again and again with the folks that you work with? I'm just kind of oh, curious. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you notice? That's easy. And you could answer this for me. <laughs> They don't realize that it's their skills that need to be improved. Yeah. A lot of the time, unfortunately, like it used to be, it's the tech is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. So I can use tech better. Well, that's great, but that's avoiding looking mm -hmm. in the mirror. And then it was, okay, maybe I don't have the right people. Well, mm -hmm. you're the one who attracted those people. Yeah. There <laughs> must be some, you know what I mean? Like, you know, so birds of a feather, that kind of, so, yeah. you know, I do think, and I feel the same way. I'm not a hypocrite. I constantly go through my own work on myself as a leader, as an influencer and so forth. They just can't see where they're lacking. And then when you bring that out, whether it's leadership, mindset, collaborative management, like whatever it is, change management. It, then they realize, oh, I have homework. That's yeah. where it gets tough. That's get, yeah. you know, and that's where I think as a coach, we come in and say, okay, it's not going to take you as many hours. I'm here to help you through this. Let me give you some tips. Let me give you some time savers to get, you know, to get you your skill set where it needs to be. Yeah. yeah. Typical skills that you find lacking with the folks you work with, anything that kind of comes up as, as yeah. kind of the internal. Collaborative. In, oh, interesting. Okay. Collaboration. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know, I would love, obviously, I always like to hear what you have to say. A yeah. collaboration is hard because you're asking people of different levels to tell you something that maybe you don't want to hear, or you're giving them a louder voice than their pay grade or their level. Mm -hmm. And so I do find that sometimes that's difficult. Like, how do you manage and facilitate a room of people? Not that you want everybody in the kitchen. Like, you don't want all the, you know, everybody in the company's the chefs in the kitchen theory. It's too many. Yeah. But 
I do find that the, the issue of open collaboration around big ideas is difficult for them. Yeah, as you're saying, I, I, I use the term a lot, enrollment. <laughs> you know, how, how do you get an enrollment from your leaders, yes. from the other people that you're working with in, in yes. the idea? And it doesn't necessarily mean that they all have a vote or that it's going to be a you know, decision by committee, but like you've got to have the, you have to get them involved in a way that's going to you know, give them ownership as, at some level in terms of the outcomes and the, and the process that you're going to use. That's right. It's a buy-in. It's, you yeah. know, I mean? versus like, hey, we all came up with this idea. Let me throw it in front of you. Now adopt it. Yeah. We know yeah. that doesn't work. I don't know. You find, I find that a lot of business leaders say, well, this is taking a lot more time than I wanted to spend on it. And I say, listen, the planning, the collaboration takes more, but then when you go to adopt, it is rocket speed because everybody's in, everybody sees the vision, everybody sees the benefits, then you don't have to spend all the time on the implementation portion. So maybe it's more in the front. (laughs) Yeah, it's right. Yeah. You know, exactly. Same story, different business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Any types of situations that you typically get involved in and in terms of, or, or when people engage you, is there any kind of typical problems, those challenges they're struggling with? And um, I'm just kind of curious when, when the moment comes for you, when they, when you get hired by somebody. Yeah. What's the pain? <laughs> well, listen, stagnating business, right? Yeah. Like let's think pre-COVID versus COVID time. The, mm-hmm. And the pre-COVID is a stagnating business, or it might be a little bit of staff turnover. Like a lot of the times they've lost their best person and they really don't understand why. And so that might prompt them. So they've either lost a big customer or they lost a really good staff person. Those are two big mm-hmm. ones. Or then there's a flat line happening. You know, they're not bringing in more. They're not losing per se. It's just kind of lacks energy in the business. So I'd say those are the three that bring them to the table. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you peel back the onion, it's a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this um, kind of presenting problem versus the core yeah, problem. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, you know, yeah. it's like we, we talk about, like, I don't like sales. I always tell everybody I hate sales. But those initial calls where they're getting to know you and you're knowing them, you're peeling back the onion. I mean, there's already epiphanies happening, right? Because yeah. all you're really doing is just asking that good next question. And right away, that's where... The, the resilience either comes out or it doesn't. Either they can hear it and say, I realize there's a lot more I need to do to bring this business back to life and grow and rise even more, or I'm not up for it. Yeah. Well, and, and let's talk about that. Like if, if they conclude that they're not up for it, what's the, what's the next step? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, acquisition. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> selling, right? It's, um, listen, if they're mentally ready, maybe there's a successor in the on the team, yeah. which would be amazing. You know, we'd love that, right? So then it's a question of how do you groom them up really fast? I mean, I have, so I've had an owner who literally, as we go through this, peeling back the onion, they're like, yep, I'm taking a sabbatical. I'm going four months. This person, <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was quick. You know, yeah. they were just on the brink of it, right? That's all they needed yeah. to see is the vision of how they could do that, that they knew that they needed to go. And no, it was time to test it. Yeah. It's, it's um, you know, Sometimes just laying out a little bit of a path or a little bit of a framework, you know, will just, it's like crystallize, you know, it's, yes. you know, you drop the crystal and all of a sudden the entire solution goes crystal. Right. It happens very, very quickly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, like in terms of, as we kind of think about the different parts of a business that need, you know, need to kind of be working well to scale, let's talk about the kind of the operation side of things. Uh, as a company, you know, grows and wants to kind of get to higher levels of performance, what are the operational things that come up for you or what are the, what are the things that you're looking at from an operations point of view that are really going to help them grow and scale the business? For me, it's always process. I, okay. I almost fixate on it, but I don't, they don't see that. It's just the way my brain thinks for some reason. Mm-hmm. So what I do operationally is when I'm asking questions, I'm obviously role-playing. Like, let's say I'm thinking about the 
potential new customer coming into the world, seeing the business, and then walking through the steps to becoming a client, right? That's a process unto itself. A minute I go through that, I start thinking, I have this like little mantra that I use, it's called IDEOS. And so I start thinking operationally, is there ways I can integrate tech to cut down on the workload, both on the potential client and on the company? Is there ways that we can delegate work so again, there's just less on the, the people that should be freed up. Is there ways to outsource? Maybe, you know, your team is just maxed out and just can't do it or they don't have the skill set, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's ways to staff differently. So I think about each area of the business in terms of process and then start picking apart. And when I go through that mantra, that's when I start to realize we can use tech differently, people differently. You know what I mean? We can spin it in a different more lean way. And so we literally do collaborative redesign. Like I actually, when I do a process overhaul, I'm doing it in front of the team with them, like visually. I've always been on video. When I started the business, it was Skype. I can, yep. can only tell you how bad that was. Nobody had webcams. Nobody had mics. I was talking to a black screen, oh, but geez. they could see my screen. They could see yeah. me, right? I, you know, I want to be a hypocrite. And that's how we did it. Oh my God, 15 years ago. I yeah. still do that same method today. Now I can yeah. see everybody though. <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I'll touch on each area of the business. So instead of thinking like, for example, some might say, well, let's just look at marketing. I know that marketing is integrated with sales which is also integrated with the technology, aka maybe the website and social media, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at it from a process standpoint versus each area of the business. Yeah. And how do you, uh, I'm always curious how you kind of balance or how, you know, process people balance the, you know, on one hand, we need to set some standards and we need this repeatable and we need to be able to kind of drive consistency. On the other hand, we don't want to make this overly kind of bureaucratic or, you know, (laughs) make it a burden. How, what's the kind of, test for you or how do you kind of balance these two somewhat competing forces? Yeah. You know, I wish I had a formula I could give to people, which is why I have to share as I'm doing because I I wouldn't know how to teach it any other way. Always say when we build a process, we build it to be flexible. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think like in in tech, I think they would call it elegant design. It's the (laughs) same idea and process work. You design it elegantly so that it can be flexible to have people having their own personality. So like a business development process, for example, right? You can't make it so cookie cutter that the person sounds like a robot on the phone with a potential customer. Yeah. So you give them the support and the items that they need to let their own personality shine on that phone call or in that face-to-face interaction. And that's in the process. But it's never so detailed that it forces somebody to become a robot. I don't build that way. Yeah. And I also, I guess my drawing of the line is, what is the work that we can systematize so that the person can then think and strategize through the process. So it's kind of like Mm -hmm. the administrative work. What is the work that we can just do in our sleep so we don't have to think about it because that just sucks energy out of you and allows your energy to be used for the strategy part of the process? Yeah. Maybe that's that's where I draw a line. That's a great question. Yeah. No, and it's... And I think that whole idea is you're designing it to be flexible and a design it to be evolved over time, you know, as part of it too. It's like, it's not just, okay, you, you, you know, chisel into stone and then everyone gets a copy and they have to keep doing it. Like there's a iterative, you know, evolutionary aspect to it. Yeah. And you've got to have people's personality. You don't hire people to be robots. You hire them because of their personality or how they come across to customers or even internal team members. So you've got to let that shine through the process without question. You're just, the process is just that to support. It's like tech. Everybody used to think tech is the answer. I'm like, no, tech is the foundation. It's to support the people. It's not there to take over the people. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about people for a little bit. How anything specific that you do in terms of helping Mm -hmm. the company figure out kind of talent stress or performance management, how do you approach that? 
So I'm all about one pagers because my yeah. attention span's not great. So, you know, as I get older, so I do this thing called the roll chart. And I actually, when I speak, this is the exercise I've always done because every time you get that look like, oh my gosh. And it yeah. literally is the client facing side of the business. If I could just visually explain it, the client side of facing the business and the different levels of people. So for example, you might say marketing and what is the lead decision maker? Who's the person that fills that role? Who's the person that fills the coordinator role? And who's the person that fills the admin role? And it's literally almost like an Excel chart. And we do role charting and put people's names into each of the roles and levels in the slices of the business. And right away, we know where there's gaps. Like it's a 10 minute exercise. And it's so interesting when I do it with companies, I have them all do it separately so they can't see each other's answers. (laughs) And then you compare and they're like, the different names are in different boxes. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. It's right away. People have misconceptions of who's doing what, right? Or what they're not doing. Then there's the problem of the gaps. Like nobody's doing that. Oh my God. (laughs) No wonder we have a bottleneck, right? Or nobody wants to do that. Let's be fair. Yeah, exactly. Um, Right. So we start with that and then we team that up with a one page job description. But the difference with the job description is I actually have them write out all the roles or hats they wear. And I found this interesting, like we always had job descriptions, you and I, like in corporations where what was your title? That was it, right? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I also took out the garbage. (laughs) I advise (laughs) clients, you know what I mean? Like in a small business, right? And those are each roles. So it identifies the roles. And the other part I added was your personal goals. So we always talk about the business goals, like what do you want to learn or achieve? But nobody ever thinks about people's personal goals. Well, what's so amazing by doing this is that people's personal goals, of course, impact their business goals. Like if somebody says, I want to get a higher credential, and then you look at their personal goal, which is I'd like to buy a house in two years. This is a younger, right? Mm -hmm. Well, of course they're interlocked. Maybe they're getting their credential not because they really want to, but because they tie that with higher compensation to then get get their house. So just the role chart and that job description with roles and personal goals, it's pretty clear what you need to do with your people. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Anything in terms of performance management? I mean, I, like once once yeah. you have clear roles defined, how do you help make sure people are excelling at those roles, giving them feedback? I mean, how do you how do you make sure the company is performing as best as it can? Yeah, I don't go very deep into performance metrics. Like I do do compensation work, for example, with incentive levels, and mm-hmm. we work through that, and then we tie that into the business goals. And the business goals are quarterly on their job description. And what I recommend the owners Mm -hmm. do is meet with their staff people once a quarter, pull up the job description, revisit the quarterly goal to see if the person got to the goal and have that conversation about how to reach their next goal and how it ties into their comp. So I actually believe in quarterly meetings with the the staff versus once a year surprise meeting, as I call it. (laughs) That you thing you I mean? did 362 yeah. days ago right. <laughs> wasn't right. so yeah, great. Right. We should, let's work was, on that. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to work on it. Oh, great. And now you're going to give me advice of how to do it. Thank you. That would be nice yeah. like, you know, two quarters ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's how I kind of loop around the comp and incentive to the goals to the person is, is a quarterly check-in. And when business owners hear this or leaders are like, that's a lot of work on me. I actually don't put the work on the leader. I put the work on the staff person who's kind of sitting with the mentor or leader and say mm-hmm. to them, you pull up the job description, you revisit your goals, write down what you've done and not done, write down notes of where you could use more support. So you walk into the meeting prepared 
to help the leader or mentor give you guidance. I always push it down a level. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of, you put the kind of the the steering wheel in the the hands of the employee to kind of drive the process rather than feeling like it's a burden on the manager or burden on the leader. Right. And that's empowerment, right? And isn't that what we always say we want our younger or our employees to do? And then we wonder why they never do it. We never even like, (laughs) we never even ask them. So. Yeah. 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 Interesting conversation. Yeah. In terms of other parts, did you get involved in any kind of you know onboarding process, recruiting? I mean, I'm always curious for no. for service countries are always challenged by this in terms of you know how they find these folks. Any yeah. any insights there? I always tell every company that your website is partly your recruiting tool, and don't yeah. ever forget it. Like Drop and Box, those big companies do an amazing job. So the one thing is, I always give them a template to add a careers page on their website. I always tell them to think about that when they're looking at their social media. I certainly give them uh, templated processes that they can change about what to do in an interview, how to source, first of all. So yeah, I do have processes, but I always hook them up with a recruiter, most likely. But you know, the recruiters don't give them like that written process they should follow. So I'll give them everything from sourcing to interviewing to onboarding to first year management. Because that's the most important time, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and I find so many, hey, I find so many people hire recruiters without any clue of what they really want. <laughs> and they oh cycle God. through, yeah. they cycle through, you know, 10, 15, yeah. you know, interviews to yeah. only find out that they have, they don't really know what they're looking for. Yeah. And then, yeah, once the, and then they hire somebody and they're, they think their job is done and it's like, no, it's no, just beginning. No. Well, that's, so that's when a business comes to me, right? And they say it's their people. Okay. This happens sometimes. Uh-huh. I will, I do not let them jump from that to talking to a recruiter. That will not go well. The engagement Uh will be done before we start. I always make them do the role chart and the job descriptions. In fact, we start off with that because I say, you know what? You're just going to waste your time. You're going to waste money. And let's be honest, that's not small change paying a recruiter either. And the most expensive thing in a business is your people. And picking the wrong person is a deal breaker for business growth. You and I know that, right? So I impress upon them, as you can tell very strongly, we're going to do this right. And you're going to see how great it is to hire somebody in the right position and how they're going to come out of the gate. Amazing. And then once they see it once and they experience it once, you know, you got, you got them hooked and they'll do it right going forward. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of curious on on all these things we're talking about involve change in the organization and, you know, kind of shaking things up potentially uh, quite significantly if, you know, depending on what they want to do and how quickly they want to do it. What do you find as being just kind of good practices about managing change inside companies? I mean, change can be either thrilling and exhilarating and fun, or it can be scary and petrifying (laughs) (laughs) and dangerous, depending on kind of your perspective. (laughs) Right. How, like, give us a chance. Like, how do you just approach the whole kind of change process. Change? Yeah. You know? uh, well, what I do is when we talk about ideas, we always write down the benefits. At, at the very least, we talk about the benefits. Mm-hmm. Because when you're writing down an idea of like, let's do X, that's a change. The panic, you know, the homework, the panic, the energy stuff. So we write down the benefit. So getting a vision of what you get at the end helps lower the, I call it change fatigue, Mm -hmm. right? So that lowers it. The other thing I do is I'm very deliberate about how we list out the changes. So I do everything, again, collaboratively online. So I use a software program pretty common out there, Sana, and Mm -hmm. we write out all the ideas. It's like, I call it the simmer pot. We throw everything into the simmer pot and then we prioritize, but I'm very deliberate when I prioritize that the first thing we do is free up time and energy. Then we do a change 
initiative. Then we free up time and energy again. So I pepper in things that free up time and energy in between the major change projects. Got it. Yeah. So it helps really kind of balance out the, mm-hmm. the kind of the benefit or making sure it's clear what the benefit is of the whatever kind of pain you're going to go through. <laughs> right, right. Because um, there's know, pain there's... to get to the, to the great yeah. goal. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to go through that process. Yeah. It's hard though. You're right. I think that's why I do everything on video. The nonverbal is super important. And yeah. people ask me, like, how did I've done this business virtually for 15 years? So uh, for me, COVID didn't change anything, yep. to be honest. Okay. I just, mm-hmm. I don't go out and speak anymore, right? Yep. Virtual. But it was seeing the nonverbal, seeing the sluggish shoulders, seeing the look down, the exhaustion, right? You got to pay attention to that when you're going through a lot of changes. Yeah. And the other thing is, you have to know when to pull people aside. There's always going to be that one or two people that just don't get it or are scared. I think most of the time we change, they're scared that their job is going to change so much that they're not going to be valued. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to be changed out of the organization. Yeah, Exactly. So that's when doing like that role charting and the job description, which is really just it's career pathing work, shows them as we go through changes, there is a place for you. And this is how we're going to get you there. So that calms down the fear. Yeah. Interesting. Jen, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Pretty simple. Jen Goldman Consulting. You'll find me. I'll come right up. My website's that, my name, everything. So I'm on LinkedIn and I have a website and hopefully it's understandable. (laughs) Practice what I preach. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll I'll put it all on the... uh in the show notes so people click click through get that information Jen this has been a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time today yeah you've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt to find a full list of podcast episodes download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at scalingupservices.com and don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.